It's simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. Please welcome to today's episode of the Tea with Mike show, Ben Arthur. Ben is an operation and sales professional for a national roofing distributor. He owns his own renovation business, and he also spends time in the community volunteering with Big Brothers Big Sisters, as well as the Red Deer Highland Games. So, Ben, welcome to the first Tea with Mike episode of the year. Thanks for being here, and how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm doing great. Really excited to start off the year. New year, new energy, new focus, trying to get everything running smooth here, and excited to start off with Tea with Mike here. Fantastic, and I'm happy that you're the first guest of the year, and hopefully it's a great year for the podcast, and hopefully we'll hear many exciting stories and interesting stories with people around the world, starting with yourself, of course. So let's start off, so where did you grow up, and kind of where do you call home now? Yeah, so I was born and raised in a little naval town in Scotland called Helensburgh. And spent my first 17 years there, almost made it to 18. And then my parents decided to move to Canada here. They moved to Hinton in Alberta. And I wasn't actually supposed to come. I decided to follow them over just to get my little brother sorted and get him kind of squared away with school. And he was at the time 14 and a very tough time for a young boy. So I said I would come over and get him settled. And I was only supposed to come for six months, but fell in love with the place and the people. And and so now I call I call Canada home. Specifically, we're in Red Deer. My I met my wife in Hinton, and we made that trek down to Red Deer for professional reasons. And and it's been our home ever since. We've been I've now been in Canada for almost 15 years, and actually over 15 years. And I think about it, and been with my wife almost that entire time, and just building a life here. So Canada's home, 2022 became a Canadian citizen and definitely, definitely made this, this, uh, a home for us. And I don't see myself going back. I think I'm, I'm getting ready to match my years in Canada with my years in Scotland and in a couple more years, I'll have spent more time in Canada than I will have in my birth country and excited to be a part of this country. And a part of the evolving, I like to call it the melting pot here. Melting pot. There's people from all over the world. You and I just happen to come from the same little slice of it, but people from all over the world here. I love Canada. Yeah, no, definitely a small world. So I've been in Canada, what, what is it? So I guess it's, this is like year 11, so I'm 27. So I guess I've still got like five or six more years before... I've I've matched how long I've spent in each country, but that's a it's a good point to bring up because you just remind yourself of all the things you've done in the past and the journey and what the journey is kind of evolving into. And it's always interesting to hear dynamic stories, you know, of people that have started off in one place and then they've ended up somewhere completely different, not necessarily because they chose that path, but just because maybe it was parents. And that sort of thing, but just how they've taken it on as a challenge almost and, and kind of how it's evolved, right? Yeah, like I said, I was I was not supposed to come for long. I had a life in Scotland and I intended to go back for it, but I spent six months here and fell in love with the place, the people, the space, the amount of space here is unbelievable. 
you know, when we, when we need more homes in, in the UK, we just start building up because there's no, there's no floor space left for purchase. So they, they knock down a 10 story apartment building to put up a 20 story one if they need more homes. Here, the, the space is tremendous. And there, I think it's very hard to see that kind of, that kind of capacity and, and then crawl back to your one bedroom flat in Scotland and call it home again. So definitely, uh, definitely here for the long haul. My kids are Canadian. My, my wife is Canadian and proud to call myself Canadian after for 14 years of living here. Great stuff. So at one point you went to school. So what were kind of some of your favorite subjects in school and why? Yeah, so when I when I left Scotland, I was actually geared up to do engineering, um, product engineering, and so I was I was headed towards that field. So that uh, my background in that, obviously in the UK, we we do education a little different. So you do pre-university courses in the kind of high school setting. I had completed a lot of those, and when I came to Canada. A lot of those still applied to what I was doing. So product engineering is where I kind of started and how building products and how they work. That led me into uh, the oil patch, which I, it's the, the old Canadian life story. It's the, the patch will always get you for a time, but I ended up on the engineering side and doing drill bits. I wasn't personally designing the drill bits, but it was all engineering spec and working with working with tools and it was very, very technical, technical and, and sales and operations. And that just led me into, I had a wonderful career in the patch. I worked there at the same company for about a decade. I progressed multiple times, took new, new roles and challenges in that company until, until inevitably the recession got us. We were still profitable right until the end, but purchased by a venture capitalist and uh, and he kept only the most profitable parts and the rest of us uh, we were kept on to shut the place down and move on and that led me out of the oil patch like I said almost a decade career there doing something I loved for one company and now I'm doing the same thing I love just for someone else and honestly a very passionate career I very much enjoy what I do but yeah the Education wise, I always geared towards things that I could get my hands on. I really wanted to do the hands on stuff. While I was working through my career in the patch, I went and I got engineering certificate for small engines because I wanted to, not because I had to. I've never used it professionally. I, I just, it was an education. Uh, my employer at the time offered to pay for education if you're willing to take it. And I always saw an opportunity in that. Uh, it didn't have to be relevant to what I was doing, but engineering's passion of mine, so went with that. I've always saw the need to continue educating, and it's something that I've always done. So moving from Scotland to Canada provided the challenges. Uh, obviously, in the UK, education is a lot less expensive, and um, moving to Canada, it's a little, uh, a little different. But with the right attitude and the right kind of drive, you can you can still make education a priority and still continue to educate. And lots of great institutions have continuing education programs. And 
something I've always stayed in. So when I was all done with, with my education in the UK, I just carried it on over here, not to the level that I had intended to in the UK. Uh, University is very expensive here, but uh, it is continued my practical and, and physical education. And, and like I said, I've always, I've always had my hands in something. Even until recently, I was working with the organization called Toastmasters. Do you know what Toastmasters is? I think so, but they, you explained it anyway. Is it, It's to do with public a, speaking, isn't it? Yeah, it's a public speaking organization. And I was the president of a local chapter and the vice president of education for a time. And we did a, before COVID, obviously COVID kind of slowed everything down, shut everything down. We did a, we taught public speaking at the library, the public library here in Red Deer. I taught a eight week course with a few other presenters on public speaking. And in that, while we're teaching the course, I always find the value in teaching as a learning activity for myself, learning how to talk to people, learning how to present to people, learning, and all of this just contributes to one, one way or another to just developing myself as a person. And so I guess that's a long way of getting to the answer you were looking for is I, I love every, you asked about what I enjoyed about school, what subjects I enjoyed in the school, but I, I guess I've just have a thirst for knowledge of all capacities. And I really, I feel like I'm still in school. Most days I try and learn something. I said, there you go. I sit at the dinner table with my kids and when they've been at school and we'll be eating dinner and I'll say, what did you learn today? And they have got to the point now where they try and remember one thing they learned while they were at school and they, so they can come home and tell dad, uh, just a crucial part of life, I think. Yeah, definitely. And it gives us something to talk about at dinner, aside from the hockey scores. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And then in your bio, you touched on it a tiny bit, but we'll expand on it. You mentioned that you're an operation and sales professional now for a national roofing distributor. So how did you diversify more from the oil patch into this line of work? And what are some skills that that you think you you need to work in this line of work? Yeah. So for me, moving from the oil patch to the construction industry was not a massive leap, simply because I use the same principles and I always have, and they're the same that. I have had and do have people who work with me or under me who I consider protégés and I try and teach them the way that I have done things because it's made me successful. And it's as simple as when it comes to sales, relationships sell much better than any other form of selling. Now, there's a few ways to sell things. You can either be a relationship seller, which means you build a relationship and your friends buy things from you. That's how it works. And that's by far the hardest route to being a successful salesperson. But once you set it up, it's very hard for people to take those customers away from you. That there, another method is to be to shop on price, to, to sell on price. And that means you will be the cheapest person in the market and guarantee to have the lowest price. Now that's a very cut rate way of selling but it's, it can make you successful for a time, but it's at the sacrifice of your profit margins. There's other, there's, there's one other way to, to sell. And realistically it's 
so you're working through either relationships or you're working through price or you're working through your needs factors. So if I say every customer has five needs and I'm going to try and fill all five of them, uh, if one person, if they require, so they don't care about the price and they don't care about the relationship, but they need vendor support and they need to go to a hockey game once every three months and they need me to buy coffee for the whole office once a month you know that that's kind of the needs-based selling and uh, as a professional sales person you learn to work with all three and figure out who is in what category but myself i've always focused on the relationships because they yield time after time and i i mean you get used to talking to people so these it, it and it's not a ruse. My customers are my friends. I, I hang out with them outside of work. I built a lot of great relationships that I have no question will last long beyond my career. But that's that's what's made me successful is doing that. And as it comes to operations, I look at everything with a roadblock mentality. So I'm looking at my objective, my goal, and I'm looking at my starting point. So if I say I'm starting at A and I want to get to C, what is my roadblock? And I look at the largest roadblock first, and in that case, it's B. And how do I get rid of B to get myself from A to C? How do I get rid of my roadblock? And that's that that's operations in a nutshell. I, I hate to say it's that simple. Sometimes it's very, very difficult. But yeah, that's operations in a nutshell. If you, you can boil everything down to where is my roadblock? And sometimes there's 10 roadblocks and sometimes one, but uh, if you can remove every roadblock, then you can be successful. But the largest thing that I've always managed to do is, and this sounds ruthless, but I one has to realize at some point you cut your losses, right? It has to be a mm. mutually beneficial agreement, a mutually beneficial relationship. Because if everything's take, take, take at some point, something has to give so uh, that's where as a operations guy and a sales guy that's where the largest thing for a lot of people is they have a hard time saying giving up a hard time saying no hard time passing up a good deal one of those things if it's not in the best interest of my company or the company that i'm operating for then at some point a, a guy just has to say no and it, you just get comfortable with that just as you get comfortable with being told no as a sales guy. <laughs> it's very, you get very used to being told no. And that's okay. Because inevitably, inevitably someone says yes. And it just, it's a, it's the highs and the lows of the, of the, uh, the game. You just, you get used to playing them and you get used to, to winning. You get used to losing and you don't take them personally. I always try and come home with a smile on my face and, when my kids inevitably ask me how was work, I always tell them the same thing. I said, no, work was great. How was your day? And sometimes work isn't great, but it's that mentality that one has to keep to continue moving forward and to not kind of, not to create jaded children who maybe see the world through foggy glasses. I like clear lenses and... If they're if they're rosy colored, even better. 
Perfect. So that leads nicely to cutting relationships and losses, if applicable, a challenge to know exactly when to do it to not burn credibility. But what are some other challenges in the line of work? Like, is it generating leads? Is it, I don't know, is it a condensed market? Those types of things, you know? Yeah, it's genuinely, uh, it's so multifaceted. In a lot of sales organizations that you go into, you will be given leads. I personally don't receive any. I generate all my own. And a lot of them are worth, every single one of them is worth, worth investigating but only so many of them are worth pursuing. So for when it, when it comes right down to it, you, you just have to go with your gut and sometimes they'll pan out and sometimes they won't. I've had a lot pan out, I've had a lot not pan out and you put the time into them. But I always, I always lead with everyone gets kind of three passes where if I, if I, investigate a company and I think they're doing good business and they might be a great customer for me and I might be a great asset for them because again it has to be mutually beneficial then I'll reach out to them and we'll try and organize a lunch or we'll try and organize a meeting and inevitably if I reach out three times and it doesn't work out then they're obviously not interested yeah if we try and have lunch and I they they don't show up then the next time (laughs) they're coming to me uh no we always try and give people three passes because Sometimes people just get busy and inevitably after the third try, if it doesn't work out, then I'm going to wait to be approached myself. Sometimes, like I said, you always do the research. You always put the time into it. That's as a sales professional, for the most part, you're getting a salary. And I've always viewed it that that salary pays for all that stuff. And if you're getting a commission, then your commission pays for all the sales but your salary pays for all the all all the work that you didn't want to do like doing the lead generation and doing the investigations and and the meetings where the guy doesn't show up and everyone inevitably goes through that like I said successes and failures but uh, the failures are paid for by your salary and the successes are on your bonus check or your commission check at the end of the month and that that that's kind of the way to look at it if you have to go and drive out to someone's office and do something you really didn't want to do, sometimes you just got to tell yourself, this is what I'm getting paid for. This is why they pay me the, the big bucks. You got to gotta do the, the good work and the bad stuff. Yeah. That's definitely a great way to look at it because I was literally going to follow up with, is that frustrating that you've driven to Calgary or further and for a specific meeting that's going to last probably less than an hour and then they don't show up and there's half your day gone, right? Yeah. It, and of course it's frustrating. It's always frustrating, but at the same time, you either, you can give them five minutes. That, that's how I always see it. I, I can be frustrated for five minutes. I can sacrifice five minutes of my day to frustration, but if I stay upset about it for three hours four hours a day i'm really only really only doing damage to myself and so at some point you just you just move on you just accept it as part of the industry i've been in the sales industry now for about four 13 years 13 years 14 years so again at first you take it very personally and in the end uh, when you've been doing it as long as i do you realize that this is all just 
one string of yeses and nos that eventually you hope leads you to a greater success rate than failure rate. And that's what makes a good salesperson. And, you know, if you have a bad year, you have a bad year, you have a bad month, you have a bad month, but mentality really does change the game. If you're positive and outgoing and you, you treat everyone with the utmost respect and give everyone your full time, then I think it, it leads to you being more successful overwhelmingly. Cool. And then, so again, in your bio, you've got your own renovation business that you do on the side. So what made you want to start your own business and why in renovation? So, yeah, it's a good question. My father is a master flooring installer. I personally, my journeyman also. So that's what we've always done. I started working with my father when I was about 11, 11 years old and continued on through my entire childhood, my entire teen years, adult years. We've always worked together and coming to Canada was very different um, in regards to working outside of employer. In the UK, you can very freely work for cash and that cash just contributes to your uh, end of your income and nobody blinks an eyelid genuinely is the accepted practice for tradespeople. Whereas here in Canada, um, lots of people get in trouble doing that. <laughs> so we started our company in 2016, I believe, to negate that. We wanted to pay taxes. We wanted to make sure that we were doing it the, the legal way to make sure that we could still continue to work uh, on our own pursuits and for ourselves in our spare time, but not inevitably end up owing the government a lot of money and getting ourselves in trouble and audited. And even kicked out as a permanent resident. <laughs> yeah, even kicked out. It's, so it was, it was a pursuit that we did. And genuinely, we, we haven't advertised. We haven't done any major searching for clientele. The clientele seems to find us through referrals and a lot of property maintenance. So a lot of that just comes to general handyman stuff or where I should say we've done a scale of business. We've done projects as large as uh, hotels and apartment buildings and a new construction retirement home here in Red Deer and as small as putting window film on for someone in the winter side of the business. So we love it. Big to small. Uh, the only thing we don't do is exteriors. But yeah. And, and obviously between myself, my brother and my father, my father and I are both flooring guys. Uh, my brother's an electrician. So we've got a few trades cornered there and we just, we do what we can and what we can't do. We just outsource. We just, uh, we sub trade. So it's, it's been good for us. Like I said, we started it because we want to be legitimate, but we we didn't want to uh, go full scale, you know, leave our jobs and do this all the time. We both recognize that working with our hands is something we're very skilled at, but working with our brains is what we want to do. <laughs> so interesting. We, yeah, we definitely make some money working with our hands, but at the same time, I'm selling my brain every day and it's not having the toll on my body that that being on my knees fitting flooring is so it's definitely a fair trade and you know i love my day job 
but I also love, I love working with my hands. So that equitable, that kind of keeping it to a, a small amount of time where we, we kind of operate the business one to two days a week, that keeps me loving it and enjoying it and still doing it this whole time. Whereas I feel if it was my primary source of uh, income, I probably would have been a little bit sour to it now. I feel like I wouldn't be enjoying it as much as I have been. I guess you answered my question because I was going to ask, like, how do you find the time to do both? But it sounds like you're making it work. Yeah, I am very purpose driven when it comes to my time. When I tell people of my schedule for the week, a lot of them think I'm making it up or they uh, they are terrified of the prospect of all the time that I spend uh, doing these things. But I should say my wife and I don't watch very much television. We're not the, the people who watch three hours of TV every day. We are definitely very, very purposeful people. So I work eight to ten hours a day and six days a week. I We go to the gym five days a week. We spend one to two hours at the gym every day. I, you know I play soccer once a week um, on Sundays. I, I, I play soccer on Sundays. We have our family time over the weekend. I volunteer with the Highland Games all spring with the Red Deer Highland Games. Do organizational meetings for that. I volunteer with Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is uh, realistically a very a shred of my time because I'm a pen pal to a uh, to a, a, a little and. I just make it all fit and sometimes I find myself with no time and sometimes I find myself at 3 p.m. going, what am I going to do for the rest of the day? I just, I enjoy a chaotic schedule <laughs> and I, I just, all the time, and it, I'm the same where sometimes I, I turn down things that I want to do uh, because I've scheduled myself too tight and I don't get to do the fun things. And again, sometimes I... It's three o'clock and I go, well, I guess I'll turn on an episode of Criminal Minds because I don't know what to do today. Um, sometimes, sometimes the scheduling doesn't work perfectly, but I think as, as a high performance kind of sales and operations guy, I, I pride myself on maximizing my time. And uh, realistically in the summer, now I'm, I'm a salaried guy, so... <laughs> In the summer, I work very long hours to achieve what I achieve in the summer. And in the winter, well, I'm in the construction industry, specifically roofing. So not a lot of roofing happening in the winter time. So I do skate out of work a little early here and there. And I do leave my staff to run the branch here once in a while and, and take some time for myself because that's just me recouping some time I spent in the summer. So yeah, it, it, it comes back. It all comes back tenfold. I think I... I give more time than I get, so I'm fairly happy. You should feel confident. good about that. Yeah, fairly fairly confident. I uh, I'm I'm getting a good deal as well as are they. Again, it needs to be mutually beneficial, and I think they're benefiting just as much as I am. So, yeah. Mike, I didn't ask, so I, I brought my favorite mug. I got well, my. Yeah. Uh, do you want to firstly do you want to run the podcast because this is it is time for tea and i was going to ask you about your tea mug and your favorite oh tea. yeah perfect yeah legitimate nice this mug was a, a gift this christmas my my brother it says the best uncle ever yeah my brother and his wife had their first child Fantastic. about nine weeks ago and it was it's a very joyous time for us They've been married for about a year and a half or maybe just over a year. 
So they just had their first child and, and I'm, I'm fairly in love with this mug. They got me for Christmas and it's the, I have, I am an uncle before, but I've never been the best uncle ever. So <laughs> pretty proud of this mug. So entry level uncle, cause you were just getting used to the responsibilities and now you've, you've been promoted to the best uncle. I'd say. Exactly. I have, and I have the mug to prove it. So I, I got to ask you, like, what, like, what types of tea do you like to drink? What are you drinking today? You, you know, the tea gossip. Yeah. So I, I, I have a confession to make. I really am a coffee guy most days. I only drink tea in the evenings for the most part. Oh, good job. We're doing that in the recording in the evening, then. Exactly. <laughs> so in the in the evening, I do my my favorite combination in. This might be sacrilege. My favorite combination is I like to have, because I have a big mug mostly, I have one bag of green tea and one bag of peppermint tea, and then about a tablespoon of honey. And I just, so no milk, no, uh, just just that as it is. That's my favorite combination in, in the evening. Um, kind of low caffeine and still flavorful. And I like it as a good kind of nighttime tea getting ready for bed. Today, um, I have one of my favorite breakfast teas, which is a vanilla cream black tea. There is no actual cream in it. It's just vanilla and black tea. It is, I, I don't know who manufactures it. I got it from Glenn's Tea, a little tea store on the south end of Red Deer. It's one of, my wife and I love going there and picking out teas and my wife uh, likes to get the peach one and I like to get the vanilla one because I'm a very vanilla guy. Um, <laughs> and what are you drinking? Uh, today I am drinking English breakfast tea because I ran out of Yorkshire tea because that's just how much tea I've been drinking recently. And so if Yorkshire <laughs> tea wants to send me some new Yorkshire tea, I'll happily send them my address on Twitter. So I will do it. <laughs> Yeah, so, so usually, so usually I drink English breakfast tea, the Yorkshire tea, the kind of strong black teas. I did get some deep tea this Christmas, so in the obviously in the in the kind of the leaf format. Uh, so I've been dabbling recently with kind of like a creamy Earl Grey, which actually I have to reconsider it. People have asked me before. I'm like, I don't like this when I've just been making it in like a standard kettle and then pouring the water. But it seems like when it's steeped, it, it actually, obviously, maybe a little bit better quality, tastes better. And so I got that going on. And then also, because I was in uh, Cameron Banff recently, I stopped at a tea shop up there. And I think it was in Banff. And I picked out wild blueberry. So I'm going to give that a go in the, probably in the next few days. So just trying to kind of mix up the palate. Yeah. So many options. There are. It's crazy. I am always fascinated we shop at uh, there's a local store here in red deer that sells british goods um it's called sproul's mountain view ida i go there and too maybe i'll run into you one day one day there you go <laughs> we go there all the time we're subscribed to their updates when they have new stuff landing and i'm always shocked at how big a trade they do in in the tea bags over there they have the yorkshire they have the scottish blend they have builder's tea and great standard run-of-the-mill tea. I don't know if I want to pay the uh, import prices for it when 
I mean, my my creamy vanilla tea from Glenn's is about the same price, and it's loose leaf, and it's very it's very delicious. I'll maybe I'll have to bring you some so you can try it if you have a the ability to steep it now. I do. I do have the ability to steep it. We'll get it set up on the sideline for the football pitch, right? You know, the dome. We'll, we'll get a roaring trade going. I'll bring my backup kettle. <laughs> so I think that's one of my go- uh, goals this year, is just to keep sampling new teas. Like, that's an interesting what you do, too, on how you mix the two together. So do you literally just put the two like, tea bags in the pot or in the, in the mug and then just pour water? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, honestly, it's. I found that the green tea. I like the the fact that it's mildly caffeinated. I like the mildly caffeinated green tea, but I didn't find it had a lot of flavor. And I I really do like mint. So I one time just threw a bag of mint in there to see how it panned out, and it was good. It just I wanted a little bit of sweet, so I threw in a little bit of honey, and now it's just become one of those things that I tried and I I. I wasn't sure if it was going to pan out, and now it turns out it's my favorite combination. I don't know. It's, I guess, serendipity. It's a little bit of destiny there. Excellent. Okay, let's jump back into this. I, I mean, it sounds like we could talk about tea all day long, but carry on. So I'm going to kind of talk a little bit now about your volunteering. So you volunteer for, like you mentioned previously, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and now currently Vice Chair of the Red Deer Highland Games and also the athletics director. And you also actually compete in a a heavy event, which I believe is called throwing. Is that correct? Yeah. So with the Big Brothers Big Sisters stuff, there's really not a lot to tell. So here in town, Big Brothers Big Sisters is, it's a local organization. Although it's, you hear about it all over the world, they are local uh, establishments. So Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Alberta. I volunteer as a as a pen pal, which is a program that started during the pandemic uh, for pen pals. So pan meaning pandemic pal. So I would write back and forth with a little. And uh, I started that obviously during the pandemic and I've continued to do it until today. Um, I find it very rewarding. I, I hope that I've made a difference in, in a child's life and uh, Sometimes it'll go three months and I don't get a letter back. But when I do, I respond immediately because I know in this child took their time out of time of their day to, to think about me and, and send me a letter. So same time, I, organ, I always uh, volunteer where I can with Big Brothers Big Sisters. I've for a few years now volunteered with the Big Pursuit, which is it's, it's a scavenger hunt across Red Deer. So they, they do a scavenger hunt, uh, you pay to participate, and then the winners get a prize, and the rest goes to Big Brothers Big Sisters. And the haunted house this Halloween, I was a security guard at the haunted house. A lot of fun. A lot of uh, scary moments, a lot of intoxicated people, and <laughs> it was it was just a lot of fun. And giving back to the community, to the uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters, and really just something I'm passionate about. Kids are our largest investment, I think. Uh, If you're going to put any money or any time into what we have here in Central Alberta, I think kids are a good place to put your time and energy because they're the future. They're the ones that are going to be putting you and and me in a home, Mike, and and we, we uh, we need them to look after us when we're old, so better start putting the time into them now. Yeah. 
in the Highland Games is that's that's my big 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 pet project. I I, I love the Red Deer Highland Games ever since I came here. What do you know about the Highland Games? Were they were they large where you were uh, growing up? There was a few events, but it was groups that came from like out of town as part of like fairs and stuff to kind of like demonstrate their skills and and their crafts. So I'm pretty sure I've been to a Highlands game at some point, but you can fill me in a little, little bit more about the the background and the history of the Highland Games. Yeah, and it's funny. So from where I grew up to where you grew up as kids. It's probably the same as driving from Edmonton to Calgary in Alberta, but in the UK, that's a whole other world away. And it's amazing how some things don't cross that that kind of jurisdiction, those those boundaries. Yeah, I grew up with the Highland Games, obviously, growing up in Scotland. It's a very, very big part of our culture. The, the Highland Games somewhat mimic or the... Olympic throwing somewhat mimics the Highland Games, one or the other, depending on uh, whose story you decide to run with. But uh, there's a lot of crossover, so it's a lot of throwing events in the in the heavy events. But in order to be a Highland Games, a Highland Festival, you have to have three components. You have to have heavy events, which is what I'm into, and then you also have to have Highland dancing uh, mm. competition, and you have to have a P&D competition, which is piping and drumming, bagpipes and drums. So definitely high, or band competition, I guess, is what they might call it. But uh, three multifaceted and it covers three totally different aspects of the Scottish culture or British culture, European culture. And yeah, so in order to be a festival, you have to have all three. I definitely specialize in one of them, but... I have counterparts on the board who specialize in the others that they fill in where I'm not uh, competent <laughs> to deal with the dancing. And, and I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that in central Alberta that would pay to see me try and highlight, do a Highland fling, but uh, it would be for all the wrong reasons, Mike. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not a graceful, I'm not a, not a dancer. I'm not, not built for that. But yeah, definitely, definitely have this the stature for throwing trees, uh, and that's that's where I specialize. Again, I couldn't hold a tune if you handed it to me, so not bagpipes are not my deal. But definitely can can throw a weight for a distance. So large part of the games is just it. It's not there. A lot of people think that the games are for us, the athletes and the participants, to put on a competition and compete to be the best. But for the most part, as a competitor, I can say we genuinely mostly do it for the crowd, for the people, because we're proud of our culture and we're proud of where we came from. We're proud of our accomplishments. Of course, it's nice to win, but I've never had someone leave the field of play and say, that was a terrible day. Now, sometimes they'll say I had a terrible showing. I didn't throw very well, but uh, everybody has just a whale of a time because we're there for the crowd and the crowd is there for us. And these, these games, these Highland games don't exist without the crowd. We live for it. I swear uh, a good cheer puts an extra five feet on a throw. 
uh, it's stat statistics. You can't make them up. A, a good a good roar from the crowd adds on ten percent. The dancers dance better when you clap for them. That's just that's just how it works. Fortunate to have been a part of the Radio Lion Games for about six years now. Really, when I came in, it was we were at the Westner um, Westner Park, and we took over the infield there and had a good few years there. As we have progressed, obviously COVID was very terrible for organizations like ours, nonprofits. Um, so we we had to flex a little bit, change a little bit. This past year, 2022, was our 75th anniversary of the Red Deer Helling Games. So 75 years it's been going. And we wanted to give back to the community. We wanted to give back to our the people who made us. So this year, actually, we we waived all admission fees to come to the Red Deer Helling Games. And uh, for the first time ever, we did prizes for competitors for competing. And we did a Cayley, which I'm not sure if you would have been to a Cayley before, which is a Scottish kind of, it's a get together, it's a dance. It's a, a, a little a little party, a little meal and uh, some beverages and some good Scottish line dancing music and just a whale of a time. So we, we had a, we had a bumper year this year. It cost us a lot of money, uh, but at the same time, just happy to give back. We knew that our families in central Alberta had been sitting at home, uh, not making the money they had been making, not uh, striving, not, not making the strides they had been trying to make. And we knew that people just needed a break. And so we, we gave them a day out uh, at zero charge. And this year we were in Springbrook, at the uh, Harvard Park, and we had a bumper turnout, probably our greatest turnout we've ever had at the Red Deer Helling Games. And we're just so proud to give that back to the community. And uh, like I said, this is my my passion project. Uh, it's been here long before I ha- I was. It will be here long after I'm done. But as long as I'm here, I I really want to make that the Red Deer Helling Games successful for Central Alberta and just. That's that's how I give back. That's how I is planning these things and doing these things, and sharing my culture with with folks. And I'll make sure. Although I think we're probably we'll probably have a gate fee next year, but I'm not sure. I'm not 100% certain. We we just started planning again, but no matter what happens, I'll make sure that there's tickets for you and your significant other for uh, for the games next year because we'd love to have you. And uh, I'd like to come check it out too. Yeah, and you can uh, you can let your followers know that, that that's where you'll be. Uh, come see tea with Mike, the Red Deer Highland Games. We could probably arrange a kettle. Um, <laughs> you can make it happen. You could definitely make it happen. We're gonna be in Springbrook again, and beautiful venue. The weather somehow always holds out for us. And now that I've said that, I must knock on wood. <laughs> race. Yeah. Yeah, it's just just a, a great time. We spend months planning for a day, one day in the year. And it, it's always a lot of work leading up to it. But by the time we're done, oh boy, is it ever worth it. Just just an amazing day. Yeah, like I said, my passion in Central Alberta is that games. It will be for a long time, I hope, as long as the board wants me. And yeah, we're, we're always looking for people. So if you... Uh, if you want to come just check it out, you're welcome to. If you want to come help us plan it, you're welcome to. We 
could probably use a PR guy. Um, uh, <laughs> out there. We're always looking for good people. And, and like I said, the Highland Games, uh, been here for a long time. They'll be here long after me, I hope. And, uh, just one day at a time trying to put my stamp on it for the time that I'm there. Awesome. I, I was just thinking as you were talking, like how, how cool it is that you ended up in a place that had some infrastructure that kind of reminds you of, of like where you grew up, because that's a pretty low like probability overall. Absolutely. It really is. When, when I moved down to Red Deer, I, I didn't even know they had a Red Deer Island games. I just, I, this is the, this is the beauty of uh, advertising of, of social media advertising is I must've met some demographic that I got an ad on my Facebook uh, for the Highland games in Edmonton. And I made a special trip up to Edmonton and I talked to the organization or the organizers. And I said, this is amazing. I've never seen this here in Canada. I love it. I, I want to be involved. And they said, why don't you get involved? If you live in Red Deer, why don't you get involved in Red Deer? Why would you get involved in Edmonton? <laughs> I said, I've lived in Red Deer for three years. Are you telling me that there is uh, Highland Games in Red Deer? They said, absolutely. It's been there for years. <laughs> so somehow through all these channels, through Facebook, I ended up in Edmonton. Through Edmonton, I ended up back with Red Deer. And uh, when I told them that, I wanted to get involved. Um, they welcomed me with open arms. And at that point, that, the rest is history. It just, yeah, I'll, I'll be the vice chair this year and next year if we want me and the year after that, if they want me and yeah, I'll keep going until, uh, yeah, until they're done with me, I'll keep going. I, I just, uh, I love it. It keeps me grounded to Scotland, to my home, but uh, obviously, it, it's it's a, a converging of two worlds because it's where I was and where I am. And I just love sharing that with people. Cool. And then so the event that you're participating, can you explain what exactly it is that you're throwing? Is it, is it a ball? Is it something that looks like a javelin? Yeah. So uh, there's a, a good few events in the heavies. And when you're competing in the heavy events, you you throw all of them. So we start with stones. Um, most people will be aware of a shot putt. Uh, so the Highland stone is similar to a shot putt, only we're too cheap to buy the lead and encase it. So we just take a rock out of the out of the Red Deer River and that's what we throw instead. Uh, <laughs> the rock weighs around 16 pounds and there's multiple ways of throwing it, but the stone putt is the first event in the, in the heavy events. Second to that, we have the weights for distance. So that is a ball on a chain with a handle. It, total length is 18 inches. And the weight, the, the light weight for men is 28 pounds. So that's about two small children. Um, and then the heavy weight for men is 56 pounds. So that's, that's about my, uh, my eight-year-old son. So you throw those for distance as far as you can. It's measured for that way. And obviously the furthest throw wins, the same with the stones, the furthest throw wins. Then the next event would be the hammer throw. And 
this one's similar to the so the weight for distance they have that in the olympics in olympic throwing but it's a lighter weight the hammer throw again similar to the olympic hammer throw but the olympic hammer throw is a lead ball on a cable with a handle whereas in your scottish throwing the heavy events the lead ball has a handle through it and it's more like a sledgehammer handle it's rattan or plastic um, or, or uh, pvc so it's uh, 50 inches long and it's just a flexible handle and with a lead ball on the end and we throw that for distance over our shoulder so that is the that's the longest event that you'll throw as in it will go the furthest that's a very impressive feat to watch the light hammer is uh, 16 pounds for men and the heavy hammer is 21 pounds for men and then there's the weight over bar which is throwing a lead ball with a handle as high as you can over a bar so for men the weight is 56 pounds and you're throwing that over your head so that one's a little sketchy lots of people get really scared on that one but once you get used to it it's very safe and very uh very controlled and, and a guy can get very good at it. Um, so that's measured for height. And then there's the caber, which is the showcase event. The caber is a, a log and sometimes they're freshly called. Sometimes they were cut down four years ago. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a tree essentially debarked and, and delimbed and they start anywhere from the shortest one I've ever thrown in competition was only 12 feet long. And the longest one that's ever been presented to me to turn was 23 feet long, uh, 23 feet and eight inches. And they weigh anywhere from the lightest one I've ever turned in competition was 56 pounds. And the most, the, the most sorry, the heaviest one um, that I've ever been asked to turn in competition was uh, over 140 pounds. Oh, and wait. These, so these logs of multitude of sizes and lengths, you would pick it into your lap and then you have to take a few steps with it and throw it. And that one is actually the only event that scored very, very different. Um, it scored like a clock face. So when you throw the caber, it has to, the, the top end that's in the air when you're running has to strike the ground. And then the end that was in your hands has to go vertically and totally go through a 360 degree turn to strike the ground on the other side. And then based on your initial run, it's scored on a clock face. So if it was perfectly in line with where you started your run, that would be a 12 o'clock score, which is the best score in the caber. Um, if it was, at the 15 mark on a clock, um, then it would be 1215. Um, or sorry, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, if it was at the at the 15 mark, so that would be the uh, one, two, three. Yeah, so if it was at the 15 mark, then it would be three o'clock. That would be your three o'clock score. Um, so if you were at the five minute mark on your clock, that would be a one o'clock. So where the one would be on your analog clock, uh, a one o'clock score. And if you were halfway between 12 and one, that would be a 1230. Just 
it's, it's chaotic. Understanding it's a lot easier when you can draw diagrams and show people with the actual caber, but that that is the showcase event. Everybody loves to see someone moving with the caber. And some of my favorite photos from competing are me with the caber, other ones with the weight over bar, because I just like the way, I like how jacked I look when I get the, the weight moving. Um, but yeah, very, very, very impressive feats of strength. And, and boy, do they ever take it out of you. These guys that do it all the time, very impressive, worth worth every every minute to go and watch them compete. And uh, I, I take my hat off to all of them. I've done it for years. I've always been exceptionally mediocre at it. But some of these guys that compete in Alberta are world class athletes. And oh yeah, okay. And it is worth going to watch them compete because if I step onto the field with them, if I step onto the field with with people who have never done it before, I look phenomenal. <laughs> but if I step on the field with these guys, I look like I, I look like I'm an a rank amateur. And that's because here in Alberta, we have some of the best throwers in the world. But it, at least it's a cool story. At least it pays respect to, obviously, like, where you're from. Yeah, no, exactly. So you it's, got a good story. Uh, it's a very cool story. And people love to see the photos. They always want to see the photos. And uh, I'm, I'm always happy to show them off because not many people could pick up that log, the, the caber. Uh, not many people could pick it up, but... But to pick it up and turn it over, that's a feat of strength in itself. And nobody can ever take that away from you once you've done it. And I've done it a good few times. So <laughs> pretty, pretty happy with my performance there. I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm exceptionally mediocre at that. And I, I always tell the guys because I'm in the amateur B class, which, uh, and then there's the professional class. And guys always ask me, when are you going to put the time in? When are you going to move to that next class? And I, I always tell them, just, just give me a few years. When I'm 40, I'll go into the master's class and that'll be my next step up because I don't, I don't plan on putting in the time required to, to be a pro. Uh, <laughs> so give me a few years. And when I'm 40, I'll, uh, I'll move on up to the master's class and, and then I'll be rolling with the best, uh, can't stop me then. Guys, where can you go and practice these th things outside of the Highland Games? So for most people, they you have to get the implements to try it, to do it. So most of us, when we started, manufactured them. We, we either went to a manufacturing facility or we borrowed someone else's or we made them ourselves a little sketchily in our backyards. Mine are all professional implements that have either been manufactured or procured from other Highland games. So if, if someone were in Red Deer and wanted to try it, I, I'd be the guy and I'd happily bring my equipment out for people to try and I'd happily coach people to, to be good at the Highland games. And most Highland games athletes are that way because we're training ourselves anyway. So we're happy to pass on what knowledge we have to the next generation of throwers because that's what keeps the games going. And like I said, we all do it for the crowd. Nobody's in it for themselves. Uh, we all just do it to keep the Highland Games going. When I'm 60 years old and I can't do it anymore, I'd like to be able to attend uh, Highland Games and see someone throwing the caber. And it doesn't have to be me. And, and even better if it's someone that you know I helped inspire to get into that, that sport. So 
Awesome. And, and then as we kind of come towards the end, apart from going to the gym religiously, is there anything else that you do to look after your physical and mental health kind of on a daily basis? So I'm one of those guys who eats very healthy. I, I do eat very healthy. I drink very healthy. I'm, like I said, I, my tea is black today. I don't have any sugar or cream. I'm, uh, I mean, I'm lactose intolerant. So the cream would really do a number on me, but, uh, I, I drink my coffee black. I drink my tea black. I drink a lot of water every day. I drink four liters of water. It seems a little excessive, but, uh, that's, it's just a good practice personally track all my foods. I, I have a coach who runs me through, he changes my programs up for the gym and for my food. And, and genuinely, I just try and make healthy choices. Um, one thing that I, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this practice, but my coach had me doing it this, it just started on the 2nd of January on my new program. And I thought it was very, very cool. So He's got me doing four things that I'm grateful for every day. Have you ever, you ever done that? No, but I, I've heard people do it. You've heard of the practice. Yeah. Very cool. I was very skeptical. Um, I definitely thought, well, that sounds pretty uh, far-fetched. And then I started doing it and I have to tell you it, it actually, when I went through with the practice, it actually made me feel a lot happier and a lot better to, to just pinpoint, for instance, today, I'm in a group chat with some friends uh, and we just post recipes and post about our workouts and how our fitness is going. And uh, today, that's why I said, I'm grateful to have a very intelligent daughter who pursues education. I'm grateful to have a very curious son who he pursues knowledge in a different way. Um, he, so he doesn't care about school. He's eight years old, but he is fascinated with wrestling and, and he is trying to learn every fact he can about WWE and, and their, their organization and the wrestlers. And he's just fascinated with it. Um, I'm grateful for my wife today because she's, actively looking after our children while I'm able to go out and do work uh, because they're off school right now. So I'm grateful for her that I'm not coming home to children who've run amok and a messy house. And, and I'm grateful to a group of friends who are motivating and inspiring me to stay healthy and make good choices in 2023. And those are my four things to be grateful for this year or today. Sorry. Just, just, Pinning that down, it's all stuff that I knew, nothing that I had to say out loud, but just pinning that down and deciding that those are the four things I'm grateful for, it it makes it makes me that much more grateful for them. And it makes yeah, I I feel like it just put me in a better mood just just vocalizing it now. Um, can you can you nail down some things you were grateful for that would probably put a smile on your face? What today? Sure. Uh, grateful for recording the first podcast episode of the year, getting rid of that rest and, you know, starting a fr- and continuing uh, the momentum. Grateful that I could afford my dentist bill today because I have insurance so that my teeth don't have any teeth stains on them. Probably like the only episode of the year, but I'll, I'll take it while it's there. I guess I'm grateful for a, a day more at home to get like errands and things done, the washings and the laundry. 
grateful for meeting new people on social media and building relationships, which is ultimately important for the business that I have. Yeah, no, that's great. I don't know. Like I said, it's a new practice for me, but how did it make you feel vocalizing those things? Happy because it actually makes you think about what you did with your day. And I guess if you can't, if you can't give four, which isn't really that many in reality, then maybe you need to do other reflecting, but that's another conversation. Yeah. Well, and, and some days you might just be grateful that you got out of bed that day, but vocalizing that, putting it to, to paper or to uh, the front of your mind, sometimes that can make all the difference in your day. And yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. One of those little things that I never thought I would enjoy. I thought it was fairly silly. Yeah, this has made a very big difference in my mindset and uh, grateful for grateful for that and grateful for this opportunity and grateful for everything that that comes to me day to day and yeah, just moving forward, hoping for a very prosperous 2023 and hoping uh, to continue the growth and set all kinds of new records this year. That's that's my hope. That's my hope for 2023. And ask me again in six months, I, I might just be hoping to make it to the end of the year. But <laughs> I'm very hopeful and grateful today. <laughs> Also, well, thank you again for kicking off the first episode of Tea with Mike for the year and for sharing a little bit of your story and your culture. And I think it's super cool that you found a place where you can continue to practice how you were brought up. And I'm looking forward to, I guess, to checking out the Highland Games this year. When is the Highland Games this year? It's uh, June. So it'll be June, I believe, 28th. But I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to get you the address or the date closer to the time sure, for sure. okay everyone uh, this was again the first episode of the tea with mike show for 2023 and um, if you enjoyed ben's story all about the highland game his professional career and a whole lot of other great conversations and topics including the wonderful subject of tea then you can check out stories from people all over the world at teawithmike.com and on all of the major podcasting platforms the Anchors, Spotify's, the Apple Podcasts, and that type of thing. And here's wishing you a great 2023, and thank you for supporting the Tea with Mike show. Thanks, Ben. It's the Tea with Mike show.